All right, welcome to Wealth and Law Live. We're live. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for joining us. This is the first run of Wealth and Law Live. So I guess all of the people listening are guinea pigs as much as you and I are guinea pigs. Very much so. Let's start this experiment. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's make it work right. <laughs> so how, how are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're pretty good. We are uh, preparing to get out of the heat as you got to do this summer. Mm-hmm. We're, uh, we're going to be going camping soon nice. for a nice long weekend. So we're still trying to figure out all the details, but we'll get there somehow. Mm-hmm. Probably in a vehicle, I guess. In, in a vehicle, yeah. We, we got the <laughs> RV reserved, so we figured that's probably the most important thing. We don't yeah. know the destination. We don't even know how to really work the RV yet, but we'll figure it out. Good luck. Thank you. I, I've heard really good things about RVing. I've had a few people that I know who've done the RV thing this summer and reported back that it was a lot of fun and pretty convenient. Yeah, that's what we figure. It's probably the safest thing during a pandemic. We could take the pups with us so we don't have to have, you know, a dog sitter, things like that, and we can go wherever we want. But, you know, the funny thing, so I used to camp all the time. And when I say camp, I mean RV camping. I know that's not what everyone's definition of camping is. But I'll when allow I was, it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's my glamping, I guess. Um, so when I grew up, we my parents had an RV. So every summer we would go camping in an RV. And so I thought, all right, we'll just call my dad, right? Like he knows everything. He knows about how you have to have so much water and drain the poop and there's a generator and all this stuff that I have no idea how to work. So I call my dad. I'm like, hey, all right, we need to pick your brain. And all he says is, you know, you could just Google all that. Yeah, you should Google that. Well, I was going to you for words of wisdom, but apparently it's just Google that now. Nice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'm a big fan of your dad's. (laughs) <laughs> that's cool it just keeps so, it simple see i had to do a bunch of camping like real camping growing up not in a, not in an rv in a tent mm-hmm. or a, on a cot sometimes no tent sometimes just on the ground and now my definition of camping is staying in a hotel in the mountains <laughs> yes that is definitely the the glamping definition mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. i don't mind it i really don't you know if i have to sleep in a pillow top mattress bed at night versus on a tiny little air mattress where you can feel the rocks that you just couldn't dig out of the mountainside. Yes. For the shower, a bathroom, hot water. Uh-huh. I make my choices. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I thought that today we would do a little some a little bit different. I guess this would be a little bit different in that we don't have a guest other than us. And Uh, I thought we would do a topic that is a top 10 list. And so we're going to do top 10 lessons we've learned from our clients about how to build wealth Uh, because we get the fortune to work with a lot of really good clients and they have tons of different stories about how they've, they've made their money. So you could certainly look from their examples, see their examples, see how they've done it and, uh, and, and glean lessons from it. So I think, think we've got a pretty decent list of ways. I think these are good insights and they didn't emanate from me or you. This is all just our clients. Exactly. <laughs> so if people don't like them, they can't really blame us. They can't blame us. This is like life stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. we're just the reporter. We're the exactly. neutral party here. 
We're like the associated press of this topic. <laughs> yes. Okay. So like number one, number one way to build wealth uh, or number one lesson, I guess we've learned from our clients about how to build wealth is there's no single way to build wealth. So I think anybody who thinks otherwise can just get rid of that idea immediately. It's amazing to me how many different ways there are that people actually make money and our clients are no exception. Uh, it's all over the board. And uh, I think people more rather than thinking about like, all right, what is the way, what's the magic way uh, to focus on something that they're passionate about and that they can monetize and do that. And I think for, for the most part, that's kind of how our clients have done it. We'll talk about this a little bit in more detail later on down the list, but, but just forgetting about the idea of like, oh, there's a right way or there's a perfect way to do it. There isn't. People make money in every kind of way that you can imagine under the sun. And so you just got to find the way that works for you. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's countless ways. Of course, obviously, just getting it from your family. That's one great, easy way of building wealth. It's um, quite but, helpful. Right? It's a little, uh, little uh, step up there. But it's, there's so many other ways, like you said. And it's, it's finding, obviously, what brings you joy. And hopefully, you can profit off that. But there's a bunch of different ways, which we'll talk about. But number two, I thought, so our, our second way that you can build wealth is I will have to preface this by saying this is a bit of a shameless plug coming from estate planning attorneys, but have an estate plan. Talk to an estate planning attorney because they are going to be able to give you a whole bunch of advice on how to secure that wealth, how to be able to pass it down to generations to come if that is what the client's intent is or to give it to charity or your friends, family, whoever. Um, and they're also, if you have a really good sophisticated estate planning attorney that has a great knowledge of the tax laws and kind of what's the most tax efficient manner in order in from an income tax perspective. And then of course, from an estate tax perspective, that's really ideal. And they could really kind of help guide you along to be able to, you know, do what you want with that money. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I will allow the shameless self-promotion there, <laughs> but it does, it really does help. And, and it helps to get a professional who can kind of see what's coming down the road, who kind of has the experience to understand like, okay, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, what could possibly happen? Because oftentimes when there isn't a good plan is when the family wealth, if the, if the desire is to kind of have a pool of family wealth, that's when the family wealth starts to kind of fall apart. But when there is very conscientious and thoughtful planning, oftentimes the family wealth really can be maintained and can last a long time. That doesn't happen by accident and it doesn't happen necessarily in a vacuum. So you have to have a, a professional who knows how to structure things and has experience structuring things. It's helpful if that's literally all they do because then they'll have the most experience structuring it. Okay, number three, and that's a good one. I like number two. Number three on the list, use tax-efficient structuring. And this applies to all sorts of tax-efficient structuring. So let me give you a couple examples. And when I give these examples, I mean everything in between too. So let's say you have a job and uh, you're making a salary or a wage and your employer has 401k and your employer will contribute to the 401k on your behalf. You do that because it's a tax efficient way to get money 
pre-income tax, meaning you don't get taxed, the federal government doesn't tax you from an income tax perspective on that money when it goes into the account, and then it can grow on a tax-free basis. And then if you also want to kind of ratchet things up, you can do a Roth conversion. Sometimes the 401k will allow that, or you can do the quote unquote backdoor Roth where you, you flip the 401k. And if you can, you flip the 401k or a piece of the 401k into a normal traditional IRA and then make an election to make the traditional IRA a Roth IRA. And then you build up Roth accounts where now when you take the money out, even though you're paying tax on it now, when you take the money out, uh, you don't have to pay tax on it. And in the meantime, it's been able to grow tax-free. And that's a that's a way to do it where you you use a long time horizon and you can build up wealth. Okay. So that's somebody who just kind of has a regular job making a salary. Now flip it into somebody who is high net worth and they have a lot of money and there's a risk that if they die, they may have to pay the estate tax, which is a 40% tax. Well, that person then can use gifting techniques and family entities and discounting to try to reduce their estate tax exposure, maybe eliminate the estate tax exposure by layering in some charitable planning and using these tax efficient structures that will allow them to to save on estate taxes. And then if they have business entities to look at the business entities and see like, all right, are we getting the best tax results on these business entities. So, you know, if they're C corporations, can they be flipped into S corporations or if they're partnerships, are they holding the right kind of assets to get the most deductions out of partnerships? Those sorts of things are a useful thing and a regular thing uh, that's utilized to try to build up a nest egg or build up a family legacy of wealth. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that's a really great point. And I think kind of going off of that, then, you know, tip number four is, having your, I like to call it a fan club, um, but really having an effective team of advisors that can help guide you to understanding all these little ways that you can secure your wealth, that, you know, you can plan for the future, finding these little areas, you know, if we're looking at an estate tax, if we're looking at doing, like you said, a, a Roth IRA conversion, people that can help guide you through that process. So your kind of fan club, your your group, your, your team of people, that's going to include the estate planning attorney um, who should obviously, like I said, have a good knowledge of tax law. That includes your CPA, uh, your financial advisor, your financial planner, um, a wealth manager, someone who's been you know, looking over your investments for you. And what's really important too, having that team is all of those team members are all talking to each other. And they're all working together for the client's best interests. Um, when the team's working together, then everyone's on the same page. They can all help each other on making sure that the client's goals for building their wealth and securing it and then maybe passing it on to another generation, that all of those goals are achieved. Yeah, super critical. Oftentimes that happens informally. It's just you really ought to knit all those people together so they know each other. They're not operating in little silos, never talking to each other. So they're all really working in the same, going in the same direction, which is the way it has to be, quite frankly, because nobody can be an expert in everything. You know, we do estate planning. We don't prepare tax returns. I would never tell the accountants how they're supposed to prepare the tax returns. That's just not, that's not my expertise. I never tell the financial advisors how it is that they're supposed to be doing the investments because that's not my expertise. Uh, I would be leading somebody totally astray. I fully acknowledge that. And that's kind of what you want in your, uh, your professionals. You want them all to bring their 
their knowledge to the table and then combine those together in a collaborative way. All right, number five, I call number five the founder principle. The founder principle is usually in wealthy families, especially when there's family money involved, okay, money that's gone through, passed down one or more generations. When you go up the family tree, you usually find a founder who really made the money initially. And almost always that founder had a niche business that they either they formed it or they got involved in or, you know, some activity that they, they got into. And that was where they at least first made their money. Sometimes that's where they solely made their money, but there's at least almost always a way that they started making their money. And that's what people ought to do if they're thinking about trying to build family wealth is find your niche and then build off of that. Find your niche, lean into it. Then when you start to get some traction on that niche, you know, you start to make some money, get a little bit of money in the bank, then you can start going out and doing other things if you're inclined to do that or just go all in on that niche. So like if you're, a, again, if you're earning a salary or a wage, you know, say you're a doctor, you're making decent money on a salary or a wage and you want to get into real estate, well, you know, lean into your doctor niche, get some traction there. Then when you've got some traction, now you can go into other areas and, and build off of that that main niche business that you have. Yeah. And I think that's really important too, that, you know, a lot of people, what they think of in, you know, starting a business and generating wealth and they think, oh, okay, well, my niche needs to be something to do with business, right? Oh, I probably had to go to business school or have an accounting degree. No, 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 no. We've seen so many of our clients, like it's truly their, what they're passionate about and that's their niche and that's what they grew off of. So we've seen clients who, um, they obviously, like you said, real estate, that's one if you got a niche in real estate, but we have some, we have some clients who are archaeologists and that's really cool. That's a really niche area that a lot of people wouldn't think about, but that's what they're really good at. That's what they're passionate about. So you can really, you know, find what, what your niche is and you really can pursue that to build wealth. So, and I think kind of going off Brent, then pivoting to tip number six is the flip side. If, if there, there was a founder your founder was your great grandpa, then you are the inheritor if your great grandpa has been passing it down. Then at that point, tip number six is if you are an inheritor, resist the urge to spend the money. I know it's so tempting and the money may be burning a hole in your pocket, but you really do need to resist that urge. And really how you should be viewing that money is a way to kind of support your aspirations finding your own niche that we just talked about and then building your own wealth off of there. It's really not, you know, the, your family's wealth isn't what's going to just keep you going for the rest of your own life and keep your children's going. No, it really should just be something that helps you to find what you are truly passionate about, that then you can build your own wealth to keep going for the generations to come. That's really critical. And that, that urge to just dive in and, and, sink your teeth into all the family money when you're an inheritor and now it's kind of fallen into your grasp is really tempting for a lot of people, at least in my experience. And it's so important to, to try not to eat into that money. Money is difficult to make. It's really easy to spend. And family money is no different. And the fact that it kind of falls into your lap as a gift, uh, I mean, look, anybody can use money however they want. But I'm just saying, if you want that money to last and you want it to become a legacy and kind of a generational thing, 
in your family, then you have to resist the urge to spend it. All right. Number seven, number seven, create a family ethos or create a family set of values around money. Okay. Everybody has a way that they view money. Everybody has kind of an emotional attachment to money or emotional reaction to money. Some of it is constructive and some of it's not very constructive. And so you want to build a family ethos or a set of family values about money that's constructive. And you can't do that if you keep it inside. Like you need to communicate that, let everybody know, this is what we think, this is how we want, you know, if you're the, the, the grandparents in the picture or the parents in the picture with the money and you're talking to your grandparents or kids, let them know, like, this is the money, this is how it's used for, this is how it can enrich your life if you're careful with it, if you take care of it. And if there's, you know, charitable intent in there, we'll talk a little bit more about that, you know, layer that in, but have something where when now, when you're out of the picture and your kids or grandkids receive this money, when they receive it, it has that family ethos attached to it. And hopefully, again, it's a constructive emotion that they feel when they think about those accounts or those properties. And then that will help them to have a healthy emotional response to the money. Yeah, I can't agree with you more, Brent. And I think it's so important to start that conversation as soon as possible, especially you know when you have generations, when they're younger, just so they can have that appreciation and they have that understanding and really value kind of what the, the legacy of the family is and kind of how they want to be able to keep that legacy going. So you mentioned charitable giving, and that goes to tip number eight, which is that if you um, are going to be charitable, which everyone should, then you really need to be wise in how you give to charities. And there's a way that you can do that. And that's kind of going back to one of our earlier tips of, you know, having this awesome team of advisors that can kind of help guide you through that process. But, you know, when you give to charity, obviously it's wonderful just to give, you know, say a flat check, here's $10,000 to charity. That is wonderful. But you can do it in a more tax efficient manner that can of course then benefit the charity and also kind of help you help you as well from an income tax perspective. Um, We've talked about on this podcast before that there's numerous different types of trusts that you can create. Um, Right now during this economic time, charitable lead annuity trusts are great trusts to use. Um, There's also charitable remainder trusts, um, which have been very popular when you have a kind of a different economic outlook right now. But then there's also, you can give a loan to charity. Uh, there's there's so many different ways that you can give to charity that can kind of also um, help you in, you know, sustaining your wealth and again, doing it in the most tax efficient manner. Yeah, and, and I think families who are going to be charitable, which I totally agree, they all should be, all of us should be, um, because you can be charitable on so many different levels and there's so much need. Uh, But for wealthy families who are going to be charitable, I think what they have to think about is what is the relationship that we want between our family and the charity or charities? And if, if what you want is a single transaction, then you write a check and you give it to the charity. If instead what you want is to have a relationship, an ongoing relationship between your family and the charity, then you probably don't want to just write a check and give it to the charity. You probably want to set up some way, some mechanism that then funds the charity over time. So the family is having continuous interactions 
with the charity. That could be a trust. It could be a donor advised fund. It could be a family foundation. It could, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you could do that, but that there's no right answer. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's really just, what does the family want? What do, what's the outcome that they want in relation to the charity or the charities that they like, and then match the planning to that particular outcome. All right. Number nine, big number nine. Getting to the end. Getting towards the end here. Number nine is be nimble. And what I mean by that is be ready and willing and able to adjust constantly because the laws will change and they will change frequently sometimes, especially uh, the higher up the food chain you get on the wealth ladder. Um, So let me just give you a couple examples. So at the beginning of this year, Congress passed the SECURE Act and the SECURE Act, which we've talked about on our podcast, changed the rules for beneficiaries of retirement accounts, substantially changed the rules. Well, everybody then had to go back and relook at their their beneficiary designations on their retirement accounts because the rules were different and reevaluate whether the way they had it set up initially still matched up with the outcome that they were going to get again, sort of like with the charities. You know, we got the cares act at the end of March and that created all sorts of different rules and the PPP loan program and, and all sorts of new things that everybody had to adjust and learn and, and, and pivot for. And that's happening a lot. Uh, I don't know if it's happening more than in the past, but it's happening a lot in the last two or three years. And there's no reason to think that that pace of change is going to cease just because there's a different administration in office or there's a different party uh, in charge. So be nimble, be ready and willing to make adjustments because the rule book is going to change on you. It's not your fault, but it's just going to happen. And when it happens, you got to be ready and willing to make those changes to maximize opportunities. Yeah. And I think it's a good point too, to point out that you know, you don't have to know what the Secure Act says. You don't have to read the care. You don't need to read all 300 pages. That fabulous team of advisors that we talked about earlier, they're the ones who are going to do that job for you. And they're the ones who are going to tell you how that new law affects you. All you need to do is just kind of stay up to date, right? Oh, I heard this, this CARES Act just came out. Do I need to do anything about it? Call up that advisor and then have them advise you on kind of what the next best steps are. You know, we, like you said, with the CARES Act, you saw with the PPP loan program, those funds went so fast. And unless you were ready to go, you had the application, you know, going already, they were gone. And so it's, it's really good to just kind of stay up to date, be in communication with your team of advisors, and they'll be able to kind of help you out when the laws do change. Yeah, just imagine at the end of 2017, when Congress wrote the the biggest change in the tax code since 1986. Poor little old Brent Nelson hunkered down in his office night <laughs> after night, reading through 900 plus pages of tax law with his notepad, trying to take notes of every provision that he ran into that he thought was necessary for his clients to know about. <laughs> Think about that. And that's what your team advisors should be doing for you. Exactly. And I'm not alone. Sorry. I, I don't mean to say that. Like I'm the, I'm the only one that did that. I know a lot of people that were doing that in my profession, but that those are the kinds of advisors you need. Absolutely. So we're at the end. We've hit number 10. All right. To the and, relief of all. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I think this kind of goes without saying, I think we've said this word probably 20 times already during this live episode, but just communication, 
communicate, communicate, communicate. It, you, we can't say it enough. Um, with your team of advisors, between family members, um, with charities, just constant communication. You and I are really big proponents of having annual or you know, even more frequent than that family meetings where you've got all the different generations coming together again to talk about that family ethos, like you said, just kind of get a status report of kind of how there's family businesses involved, how the businesses are doing. You've got those advisors in on that meeting as well, so they can provide everyone an update. And that's just a really great way to keep everyone involved and kind of just give them updates on what's going on. And then just to kind of reiterate those themes, like we said, of this is what we want the understanding to be of the family money. This is what we want the values. And this is what we want the legacy to be. And that's, can't do that without communication. Absolutely not. Communication is critical and over communicating is okay. Mm-hmm. Under communicating is not good. So absolutely communicate, 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 get your message across. And that, that applies up and down this list. I mean, if you're not happy with your team of advisors, let them know, you know, you have a right to let them know if there's something you don't like about the way they're doing it, speak up. Uh, if, if you want to give to charity in a certain way or to a certain charity in one year versus another, you know, speak up, let everybody know. All right. So let's summarize or go back through the list here for anybody who uh, wants the short cliff notes version. So number one, there's no single way to make your wealth. There's no single way to build wealth. You just got to find the way that works best for you and go for it. Number two, have an estate plan and have it done by somebody who knows what they're doing. Number three, use tax efficient structuring like Roth IRAs or estate tax planning for very wealthy clients. Number four, build an effective team of advisors. Have that team in place so they can help you. Number five, follow the founder principle. That is, find a niche business, lean into that business until you get some traction. Then if you want, go into other lines of business. Number six, the inheritor rule, which is resist the urge to spend the inheritance. And if you do that, then the inheritance can grow and continue and last for generations. Number seven, create a family ethos or a set of family values and communicate them. Number eight, use wise charitable planning. If you're charitably inclined and we say you should be, then use wise charitable planning techniques to meet your goals. Number nine, be nimble, excuse me, be ready and willing to change as the rule book has changed, that being the laws change. And number 10, communicate, 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 and then communicate, and then communicate, and then communicate, and communicate. (laughs) Do all those things uh, and you'll be in good stead. So those are the top 10 things that we have learned from our clients about how to create wealth, how to create family wealth, legacy wealth. Uh, and I hope that's helpful for everybody. And hey, listeners, really thank you everybody so much us, for spending time with us. Thank you, Rachel and I both really appreciate yeah, it. I think we we've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable we'll have to do it again sometime. And I Definitely. hope you feel the same way. <laughs> and if so, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us reviews. Uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.